Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored by Stephen Rappaport in honor of the Kahal and wishing the entire Kahal Atzlacha. Breakfast is also sponsored by Daniel Ohayon as a Seudat Hoda'ah in honor of the Kahal, wishing the entire Kahal Hatzlacha. And as well, breakfast is sponsored by Maurice Murray, Diana Loving Memory, and Lilui Nishmat Le'ah Bat Miriam. Shalom. And as well, for the Rufuash of Moshe Haim Chakshur, Moshe Haim Ben Farah, sponsored by his grandson Ben Chakshur. Hazaku Baruch. Rabotai, we have in the end of the parasha a dramatic moment, a moment when Miriam is unwell and Aharon comes and he begs his brother Moshe, let her not be like someone who is already passed, you know, but rather, please, he wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to pray for her that she should get better. And Moshe prays a very short prayer, a prayer that consists of five words. Today, we use that prayer in every single Mishabarach that we make for Holim. We use it for men, we use it for women. We change it to El Narifana Lo, or El Narifana Lahem, or El Narifana Lahen. But the uh, sequence of El, Na, Rifa, and uh, Na, so that, w- if we're going to change the, the him or her, that's the pronoun for, you know, male, fa- female, uh, 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 singular or plural. But the formula itself is the same. And uh, the Mefarshim explained a lot about that, that this formula of El, Na, Rifa, Na, La. Now, I have to say, it's a fascinating thing, this. In all of the cases of Tzara'at, so we're very familiar with the sequence that a person goes through in order to go to get rid of the tzarat. What's the sequence that the person has to do? They have to get seen by the Kohen. The Kohen has to decide whether it's tzarat. Then the person needs to be taken outside of the machaneh. Then there's korbanot that they have to bring after seven days if it doesn't spread. So we know how you get rid of tzarat. So what is this prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu was praying? It's the only time we find this concept that someone is praying in the Torah for a misorah, praying that they should get better. And I thought that was a very interesting concept, especially with regards to uh, one of the ideas that I think that many of us could take out from this uh, magnificent small exchange of one brother praying for his sister, who by the way had spoken against him. The, the reason why she had Sarat is because she spoke against him. And who's the one that's praying for it to get better? Moshe Rabbeinu. So listen to this. <clears throat> there was a, uh, uh, a rabbi whose name, uh, is a rabbi whose name was Rabbi uh, Shimshon Pincus. And he had a next door neighbor. And this next door neighbor, she was someone who wasn't, uh, wasn't well. He took it upon himself that he should be somebody that should, you know, look out for her benefit and try and you know ensure that she gets better, etc., etc. And you know everything that he tried, there was nothing that would work until finally he heard that on the other side of the ocean there's somebody you know that has developed a, a drug that maybe could help for this situation. So he takes with him, along with him goes the the head, the person who's in charge, Rabbi Rakovi, who's in charge of Ezemitzion, who has a tremendous amount of, ne- of of medical knowledge. They travel together to this place to meet this this doctor who's developed the medicine. Anyway, they set up an appointment and they sit there for hours and they're talking and they're talking and they're talking about the medicine and about what it could help, about what it can't help, about the side effects, about, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And after however long, uh, this, uh, the, 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 you know, the woman, the doctor leaves and Rabbi Yaakov, says to Rav Shimshon Pinkus, he says, Rabbi, I know you really don't want to hear this, but there's no way in the world this doctor's right. She thinks it's going to work for this it is disease as well. 
she, her trials are for something else. You know, there's no way to prove that. It's crazy, we're not gonna take this chance, etc., etc. The rabbi says, look, you know, we need to research all the possibilities. They get out all the medical research and they're going through books that are thicker than your house. Each, you know, they're understanding each element and each part of the disease and the risks involved and so on and so forth. And they call the doctor back because they think maybe they have another way that potentially the medication could be delivered, you know, in a way that would be safe for the patient. And they have more conversations. 10 days, they sit there every day, all day. They're exhausted doing the research emotionally, physically. They're going back and forth between this doctor till eventually uh, they get to a point after nearly a week and a half where Rabbi Rakovi manages to convince Rabbi Pincus conclusively that there's no way in the world this medicine is going to work. For the first time in a week and a half, he sees Rabbi uh, Shimshon Pincus, he sees his face, his face falls. His, the light goes out in his eyes, the hope seems to be gone for, for an instant. And then again, Rav Pincus, he sees his face light up again. And Rabbi Rakovi is ready to start convincing him again that he better give up hope, this is not going to work. And Rav Pincus says, I want to tell you something. He says, we say in the Berachot, we say the words, Borer Fuot. Borer Fuot, what does it say? What happens, what's after that? It is true that we've scoured the world for a medication for this woman. It is true that this medication, which seems to have offered promise or a glimmer of hope or light, has turned out to be fool's gold. It's not going to help. But he says the pasuk doesn't say bara refuot, it says bore refuot. Which means that God is constantly creating new medications. He's making new things. And therefore, he says, even if we've gone to the lengths of the earth to try and find something, I still have not given up hope for my next door neighbor, for this poor woman and her family. I'm going to continue to look and I will never ever stop giving a give up hope because maybe God will have created another refuah, one that wasn't there yesterday. Rabbi Rakovi said that till the end of his life, he's going to remember those words from Rav Pincus. And you know what? Indeed, it served him well. Many years later, a young woman walks in with her parents with a disease which is incurable. You search it online, incurable. You ask the doctors, incurable. There's nothing that we could do for this disease. It's fatal. She's going to die within a few months. He comes in and the parents are crying. And he says, and he says I don't know what to tell you. Look, you can ask any doctor you want. It's not going to help to ask more doctors. There's no cure for this disease. The parents are crying. All of a sudden he remembers Rav Shimshon Pincus's line. Borer Fuot. He says, you know what? I've checked this a thousand times. I know all the literature. Maybe if I check the whole world again. He puts in hours and hours and hours of phone calls, calling all the research centers that potentially are working on this type of disease. Maybe there's some experimental trial. Maybe there's something un unconventional. And he finds, uh, you know, the other side of the world, there's a clinical trial that's being held with 20 spaces. He uses all of the protection he can, all of the things that he can, and he shoehorns this girl in. She is patient number 20. Only 20 people. The, no one knows if this is going to work, but it's a clinical trial. They figure they may as well try it. Anyway, there's no way in the world this girl is going to live. 
They get the girl, spot number 20, on the, on the trial. Rabotai, 19 people out of 20 people on this trial died. Number 20, this girl was the only one that survived. The drug never made it to market because one out of 20 is not odds that anyone will allow you know, to be classified as a, as a working medication. But because of Borer Fuot, because of the Emunah of Rav Pincus, somewhere else, that Emunah inspired the head of Ezra Mitzion to think to himself, maybe there's a chance for this girl too. I know, Rabotai, we think that Emunah is something that's between us and God. And the truth is, of course it is. But it isn't. It's also between us and our fellow man. Because Emunah is contagious. If someone sees that you have Emunah, then what happens? And they also think maybe there's still a chance. Boreo Lam is great. And I have to explain the nature of this in the way that I think is very communicable to other people. You know, <clears throat> there was this, uh, a Rav Lubert who, in Israel who told over that there was a doctor once in Hadassah who he knew personally. And he went around a, uh, a, uh, the hospital in one of the most uh, severe wings, a wing in the hospital where everybody practically is on death row. But a minan we should not know. And he walked around quietly with one, with a few of the doctors, and he said, mark my words down. They take out note, note paper, and he said, this one's gonna live, and this one's gonna die, and this one's gonna die, and that one's gonna live, and this one's gonna die, and that one's gonna live. Come back to me, he says, in a week. They go a week later, however long, and they check, and all the patients that he said were gonna live, lived. And all the ones that said he was gonna die, were gonna die. They came to him and they said, are you a Navi? He said, I'm not a Navi. I'm not the son of a Navi. He says, but I'm looking at people who are in a situation which is very, very dire and very desperate. He says, I didn't look at their charts. He says, I looked in their eyes. In their eyes, could I see that they'd given up hope already? If they gave up Emunah already, they had no hope left, Khalas. That person, is they, 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 the fight goes out of them. But someone feels that the, the Emunah is still there, HaKadosh Baruch Hu still could do it, then if that's the case, a person is willing to go on fighting another day. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the Ramban holds that when a person is being mevaker holeh, we, real, we use the word and we say, Bikur holim means to go and, and visit the sick. But the word Bikur doesn't mean to visit. When you talk about a business or a doctor or a lawyer that's undergoing a Bikur, what does that mean? It means that they are... We have some Israelis in the room. What is a Bikoret? When they check the police or they check this lawyer, or they check this doctor, are they doing things the right way? That's a bikoret. Bikur holi means when you check on the hole. Now, of course we know the halakha is a person does bikur holi, they're supposed to clean the room, take care of the hole's needs. But Ramban writes that if a person goes in vakeh hole, and he does not pray to God that the person gets better, he has not fulfilled the mitzvah bikur holi. So I struggled with this. It seems to me that those are two separate things. One is Bikur Cholim visiting the sick guy. One is maybe the compassion that you have to go and pray for him. Why should praying for the sick person, 
Why should that be considered part of the Bikur Cholev, checking on him, of fulfilling the Cholev's needs? And the answer is that there may be no greater need that the Cholev should see, that someone still feels that it's worth praying for him. There's a prayer that's called Tefilat Shav. You don't pray for somebody that is already uh, beyond the pale of prayer. If he sees you're praying for him, he knows that like they say in English, he still has a prayer. He still has a hope. Rabotai Emunah is infectious. My Emunah helps for other people. Moshe Rabbeinu goes and he prays for his sister. El And it's a short prayer. And the Chachamim say, why does Moshe pray a short prayer? And the answer is, the Midrash explains, that the people should not say, look, his sister's sick and he's sitting here praying for 17 hours. Why doesn't he go make sure that she's comfortable? Why doesn't he take care of her? And you know what I thought to myself? If the people are going to say that it's better to take care of her physically than to pray, then they're going to say about a short prayer too. Right? They're going to say about a short prayer too. What's the difference short prayer or long prayer? The answer is, Rabotai, everyone could understand that at least a short prayer is something that benefits even on a physical level the hole that watches that someone is praying for them. I can't tell you, we had someone a couple days ago came to the Beit HaKnesset, he wasn't well. And he said to me, you know Rabbi, I haven't been well, I haven't been in the synagogue. I said, of course, what do you think? You think I don't know? Your name is on the list, we've been praying for you every single day since you left the synagogue. And I told him his name in Hebrew and the name of his mother. The man wanted to start crying. To know that there's people that care about you, that in the synagogue they're praying for you. You know what it brings to somebody? He says, I'm going to keep coming each and every day, Rabbi. That is something which is so powerful. I would like to extend this, Rabotai, for one, just one minute. I'd like to extend this outside of the realm of people that are sick. Because this is not just true for people who are sick. To have someone, to give someone the strength of your emunah is something which is true for all people, for anybody who's having a tough time in whatever level. If they don't have emunah because it's too tough for them, but they encounter someone that does, even the fact that someone else thinks that there's a chance is enough to be able to bring them an element of emunah into their own lives and they think to themselves, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe he's not crazy. Maybe there is something that can be done. Maybe it can get turned around. And I think, Rabotai, that the first time we find this is by Moshe Rabbeinu. It says by Moshe Rabbeinu that Moshe goes up on top of the mountain and the Jewish people are fighting and waging a raging war with Amalek. And Moshe's hands are raised to the heavens. And as Moshe's hands are raised to the heavens, it says, and his, and, and his hands were, and his hands were emunah. Strange word. His hands were emunah. What does that mean? Every time his hands would go up, our rabbis teach us, the people would win the war. If his hands would come down, then the people would lose the war. Ask the Midrash, do the hands of Moshe make Moshe make or break war? Ella, rather, in the time when the Bnei Israel had their hearts raised up to their Father in heaven, they would win. 
and when their hearts would fall and they lose their emunah in Hashem, then they would lose. Question for you, what in the world does that have to do with Moshe's When they had emunah, they'd win. They didn't have emunah, they'd lose. What's that got to do with Moshe's hands? The answer is, if they could look on the mountain and there was someone that had faith, then they could also have faith. And the hands, and the hands of Moshe, they were emunah. They translated into an emunah, not just in Moshe, but also in everyone around him that could see that he had not lost his faith, that they could still win this war. And when indeed they were inspired by that emunah, then they were able, then they were able to, uh, uh, to win and to rally themselves to Rabotai. Giving over emunah is not long speeches. Giving over emunah is not guilt trips. Giving over emunah can happen in five words. It could happen even just with raising your hands. Illustrating, showing that you have emunah to somebody, that you have emunah that their situation will get better, is much more important than talking about it. May God bless us always to be able to be lightning rods for the light from heaven and to bring berachah to all those around us. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.